Life Audio. Today on the podcast, we're talking about how God's love endures forever. And from the perspective of the psalmist, we look at that from creation onward. But it looks forward to what's going to happen at the cross. And what we know as believers today is that ultimately the way that God reveals his love to us is through this enduring love that lasts forever, that offers redemption on the cross. So we're going to talk about that and more today. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand his will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're walking through Psalm 136, which I think you're going to find is a familiar passage for you. Maybe if you don't necessarily know 136, but once you hear it, you're going to start to think, oh yeah, I recognize that from different various worship songs and hearing it in church, that kind of thing. I want to just point out that the reason why we're going through the Psalms one at a time is it's a really good foundational way to really understand what the context was for Jesus and the disciples because the hymns and the prayer book of the Psalms was essentially the the number one thing that they quoted from the Old Testament. And in our quest to know God's voice more clearly and to, to really lean in to hearing Jesus, there's this opportunity that we have to see what things that they studied, to see what things that they would have known, to to understand the context of when they were quoting these things, what it actually meant. We're going through these one at a time as a devotional reading, really to help you have a better understanding of the history or the culture, what was happening, because we live in a different time and space than the original audience, the way they would have received this. You know, somebody writes a letter to me or writes even just a, if it's a blog post or something. I have an idea of what's going on. I know the historical context. I know the cultural context. But if somebody were to wait 2,000 years to read that, they might not understand things like TikTok or they might not understand references to the political climate, those kinds of things. So just from a time perspective, we have to recognize that there may be things that we just don't understand. And so what I love to do is get get into the heart of those things to help you understand the word more clearly. It's not to replace your Bible reading. It's to help supplement it. And I I just pray that it's a blessing for you. If you look in the description of every episode, there's also a journaling prompt. And I do that because I think journaling is a really good way to help us get the information from our head into our heart. On Mondays, every Monday, I send out a recap from the week before that gives you all of the journaling prompts together in case that's helpful for you. And then if you would like previous episodes journaling prompts, you can go to shehears.org and go to the resources page and look for the Psalms Guided Journals. Again, just additional resources to help you as you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Today I'm reading from the NIV, starting at verse 1. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembers us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Well, obviously, I think if we were to notice a theme, it would be that his love endures forever. This refrain is the second verse in every stanza, and it helps us recognize the kind of like the liturgy, if you don't know what that means. Um, it would be like in, if you haven't experienced this in church, you may be some more conservative churches or old school churches, then it would basically be like the leader, either the worship leader or the pastor, or in this case, probably the priest, they would speak the first half of the verse. And then the congregation would respond with that refrain, the second half of the verse. And they would do this in a way to give praise to God. Remember, we've been talking about love in terms of hesed, and that hesed version of love that is translated as loyalty, and it's the kind of love that's loyal, and it speaks of this commitment of God to honor this covenant that he has with Israel. And so that commitment takes this concrete form in the creation, and then, of course, the actual specific redemptive acts in history. And so Psalm 136 is commonly referred to as a hymn, not just then, but now a lot of churches use it as a hymn now. And it specifically is a redemptive historical psalm. And so when we're talking about genre, we would say it's a redemptive historical psalm. The first stanza, when it's talking about giving thanks, it's a call to the congregation, of course, to thank God based on the goodness of God. And I think that's a powerful example for us because I think sometimes what I hear from a lot of people is, I just don't know how to pray. 
And not that we ever want to reduce things down to a formula. You know, we want the heart of our prayer to be based in relationship. But I think if you are somebody that has a difficult time praying or even getting started praying, this is a good model for us to use. I think it's really good. I do that a lot of times if I'm just, I know I want to pray, but I'm kind of in that mood where I'm stuck or my mind is cloudy or sometimes something's happened and I can't even think straight. I always start praising God and thanking him on based on his goodness. And then, of course, we see them talking about the his superior their superiority to other gods. And I don't want that to get lost on us. I think we sometimes forget that the culture that the original hearers of the, these words would have been in, the surrounding nations were polytheistic, meaning there was multiple gods. You know, they would have a sun god, they would have a moon god, they would have, you know, all these different idols and all these different false gods. And so he's talking about God, Yahweh, God, his superiority to all those other gods. And I think we sometimes, you know, maybe now in the last couple of years, we recognize that more, you know, there is kind of an uptick of people worshiping other false gods. But I think in our culture, sometimes the gods can look like social media or a career or sports teams or insert passionate thing here. And not that having those passions or interests is wrong. It's only when they take a place of superiority over God that it, it becomes um, a, a miscalculation of, of what God's heart is for us. So there he's praising God. The psalmist is praising God based on his goodness, based on his superiority over all other gods. And then there's this comparison where he says, God of gods and Lord of lords. And I think that's important to point out because that is a description that makes sense when you are in a climate where there are multiple gods that people are worshiping. But it also sometimes refers to other spiritual beings. So that lowercase g, God, sometimes refers to angels and demons. So the bottom line here is that God is superior to all of those things. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about this psalm. Stay tuned. So as we move on to the next stanza, it's talking about how God creates. And so this section, verses 4 through 9, is really beginning by ascribing thanks to God, who is very unique in his great wonders. And so the great wonders are, it starts in verse 5, where it starts talking about those. But he talks about God's creation as an act of wisdom. And so here, the word, depending on the translation you're using, the word is understanding, but it's connected to wisdom. And so that helps us remember that the creation is ordered. It's not just random. It's it's bringing order to the chaos. And so there's this thought that, you know, in especially in the ancient world, and I think even now, there is this thought, thought that the universe is a result of pure chance, pure circumstance. But what we know from scripture is that that's not the truth at all. It says that Yahweh laid the foundations of the earth with wisdom, and he established the heavens with understanding. In verse 6, we see this picture of God, of the God of creation spreading out the earth, the land, on the pre-existing waters. And that's a point back to Genesis chapter 1, where it pictures the land emerging from the water on day 3 and making the light, the moon, the sun. And so Genesis 1 pictures this as God's act on the fourth day. And so what we're seeing in this Psalm 136 is this reference back to God's enduring love since the very beginning of time. 
And then verse 10 through 15, we move from talking about God as creator into God as redeemer. And so the next great wonder that that it's talking about is kind of a climatic moment in the story of Israel's history. And it's celebrating the final plague, which if you were reading this out of context or if you were just isolating a couple verses... I think this is one of those places that people get stuck because you have to read scripture within the context. One of the things I always say to people is don't isolate one or two verses. Read the entire passage. Read what's before it. Read what it's what's after it. Read what it's referring to. Usually most Bibles will have a cross-reference. If you're not, not understanding, it doesn't mean that there's a contradiction there. It means that there's something you're not getting, something you're not understanding. So while it's hard to say, if you isolate that and say, okay, well, the death of the firstborn, which is the final plague in Egypt, it, it would be difficult to say, oh God, that's a loving God that is killing all the firstborn sons. But you have to look at that in the context of Pharaoh's rebellion. Pharaoh had enslaved God's people and refused to listen to God, even though God had sent all these plagues and was trying to send a message to him. You know, in all of those plagues, I mentioned this last week, I believe, and if, if you don't understand this portion, I would encourage you to go back and read. But each of the plagues that God sent were representations of a different God that Egypt was worshiping, that the Pharaoh was worshiping. And so there was different gods represented by different kinds of plagues, like the frogs was representative of one of the gods. And, um, you know, just you go back and you can read about Egypt's history and the way that they worshiped those false gods. But this was the climatic moment where it finally broke Pharaoh and he allowed his people, Moses, to take his people out of there. Um, but that act of redemption is what they're celebrating here, not necessarily the fact that all these people died. Um, that was a consequence of the sin of Pharaoh, who was a leader of the nation at the time. But that very act was this act of redemption where God released his people from bondage. I think the takeaway there is that there is a consequence to sin. There's a consequence to those that are keeping God's people in bondage. And that's not something to be taken lightly. So anyway, there's a celebra celebration of that final plague, the death of the firstborn, because it was on that evening that God had this victory over all of those false gods of Egypt. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12. And that was what finally compelled Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to leave that Egyptian bondage. And so God did that through this act of, of power when it says the mighty hand and outstretched arm. It was this mighty act of power that God did that. And soon after the Israelites left Egypt, Pharaoh became very embarrassed and very angry that his gods were not strong enough or more powerful enough to, to hold back the God of Israel. And he changed his mind and then pursued them all the way to the shores of the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh, of course, thought he had them trapped in this vulnerable spot. But what, what did God do? God actually directed Moses to go there and to display this great glory of defeating the Egyptians in such a dramatic way where we, we remember the story. We all, all learned it in Sunday school when we were kids where God parted the waters. And so we learn about how God split this impassable sea and allowed Israel to escape and then closed the sea on the Egyptians in this single act of both judgment 
and redemption. It was judgment on Egypt and the false gods that they had been worshiping and then redemption for God's people, the, the Israelites. And so in response, then Moses leads Israel in a song and talks about God as warrior who fought on the behalf of these helpless people. So again, all of this is looking back to God's love through the history of Israel and how God worked on their behalf in seemingly impossible situations. Again, I think that's a really good model for us. If we are stuck and not knowing how to pray or we're just, we can't bring it to mind how we're, you know, going to get through this prayer time. I think prayer is hard for a lot of people. We can look at number one, praising God for who he is, praising God for the creator that he is. And then praising God for the way he has redeemed our lives, either historically throughout the pages of the Bible or in our own lives. And then down in verse 16, it moves on to talking about his guidance. So after the people of Israel have passed through the Red Sea and they find themselves in the wilderness, the psalmist is not talking about all of the ups and downs of the the wandering that happened in the wilderness. Instead, he's talking about how God guided them, and he's choosing to focus on God's guidance during that period. And we know that there was a lot that happened, um, but but yet, regardless, what happened was God remained with them, and he guided them through that whole season. And, you know, if you if you don't remember, you can read in Exodus chapter 13. It says that the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And then in night at nighttime, he was a pillar of fire to guide them. So be, to show them where they should be going, there was a pillar of clouds during the day and then a pillar of fire at night to show them exactly where they should be, where they should be traveling, so they could travel by day or by night. And so he made his presence known also in the Ark of the Covenant that went ahead of the Israelites as they were going on this journey. And then 17 through 22, it's talking about how he is the conqueror. And so the psalmist continues to talk about this redemptive history. And now he's thanking God for this gift of land through the conquest and the settlement. We read about that in the book of Joshua. And then he speaks generally talking about the kings of Canaan, which that's Joshua chapter 12. You can read more about that. And then he talks about the victories in the Transjordan region, where he's talking about the, the regions of Sihon and Og. And then you you can read about that in Numbers chapter 21. And what he's doing is he's talking about these victories that are a result of God acting and warring and fighting for them on their behalf. And then verses 23 through 26, it goes into finishing up the psalm with talking about God as the provider. And so the psalmist is basically calling on the people to have a heart of thankfulness when he's talking about God's actions for his people. And so the Lord remembered them when they were down, when it says in our lowest state, he's talking about how God remembered them. And remember, we're talking about this idea of remembrance in, in these last couple of Psalms. We've been talking about this remembrance means more than thinking about it in your mind. In that culture, remembrance implied an action. And it's talking about how God acted to alleviate their suffering. So it wasn't just thinking like, okay, God is thinking about them, but he's acting on their behalf. This act of remembrance is an active participation in their lives. And so in verse 24, it specifies those actions and it's talking about deliverance from the enemies. He's talking about the exodus. He's talking about the conquest. And he's describing those as concrete ways that God remembered them as his people. And then God continues to care for them in the routine and every day with things like the provision of food. 
And then, again, I think this refrain helps us to recognize his love endures forever, that throughout all of it, and then moving forward throughout the rest of their lives, God's love remained this constant that they could depend on. We know that God's love does endure forever. And so while the psalmist is looking back to creation and then these acts of history where God has demonstrated his love for his people, he's calling on this covenant community to join him in worshiping God through this act of celebration that remembers all of these events. I think that's a powerful example for us today because his love endures forever. And so as modern day readers, we can read Psalm 136 and then we can look back over this long expanse of history where we've seen God's redemptive thread throughout the pages of the scripture and then also remember how he's done that in our own lives. We're able to look back and see these redemptive acts that he took, that he did on the cross even, and then the way that he's done that in our own lives. And I think what this encourages us to do, because the psalmist is looking back, but he's also looking forward. He's looking forward to this perspective of how God is going to continue to have a love that endures and is faithful. And so this expected redemption is going to happen in the future. We can do that too, because we know, we see even from the period of time where the psalmist is writing this, looking forward to the redemption of the cross, we know that God's nature and character does not change. So if he was a God of redemption, whose love endured in the past, his, he's going to be a God of redemption whose love will endure in the future. I think that is the lens by which we re- need to read Psalm 136. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and start reading again at verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love endures forever to him who divided the Red Sea asunder. His love endures forever and brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness His love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as inheritance, his love endures forever. And inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Oh, Father God, we recognize that your love endures forever. From the time of creation, throughout this redemption of history, 
from the redemptive work on the cross to the way that you, we know you're going to work in our lives in the future. God, we thank you that your love endures forever. We see this redemptive thread for your people and the overwhelming sense of love that has said kind of love, that loyalty kind of love. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that no matter what we do, no matter how far away we get, that it doesn't change your said, your loyalty, your love, and the way that you continue to beckon us, to pursue us, to call us back to yourself. Lord, I pray for my friend today that might be struggling to understand both the said and the remembrance. The said in terms of the kind of love that you give that's loyal, that has an action behind it, that isn't just a thought. And then remembrance, how remembering us is not a thought, but it's an action for you. God, I thank you that you remember us. I thank you that there's nowhere that we can go that you are not. So Lord, I pray for my friends today that you will overwhelm them with your love for them, that they would sense it in a very real and tangible way. God, we thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know. I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org, where there are also some really good resources to help you in your spiritual growth. I pray that they are a blessing for you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.